Yeah. Not, not, not the TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who, when he passes away, wants his consciousness transferred into a cow. My co-host... Hey, everybody, it's Nico. On this week's episode... We only have reviews of Chuck, Bones, and Fringe due to Castle not returning until next week, as well as Smallville and Supernatural not coming back until April. And with that, we have some TV news, of course, from Nico. Indeed. Our story tonight, the revival of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Nickelodeon is starting to take shape more than ever, with a new teaser trailer provided by Entertainment Weekly. There's going to be 26 half-hour episodes. They've already been greenlit for 2012. Right. That trailer teaser trailer is provided with a link on our Facebook page. Nice. That's very exciting. Yes. Another uh, reboot of our childhood. That's great. And our second story actually goes right into that, too. Nickelodeon is going to re-air beloved 90s sitcoms. Exciting nice. news for people who were tweens in the 90s that long time ago when tween wasn't even a word. Beginning this fall, Nickelodeon will start airing the 90s are all that programming block from midnight to 2 a.m. consisting of reruns of Rugrats, Kenan and Kel, Pete and Pete, The Amanda Bynes Show, all that, and Carissa Explains It All. All right. Yeah, finally, nostalgia gets its reckoning, and everyone will have a chance to see if their old favorites hold up or if their taste in television, if nothing else, really has matured. That's the tagline from uh, Nickelodeon. And I have to give Nickelodeon, as well as Cartoon Network, props, because they are really hyping the nostalgia trade right now and giving us some really great programming from both networks. We have the Turtles show coming out on Nickelodeon, as well as our favorites from the 90s, which I puffed about, and a new Avatar series. So that's all a mm-hmm. really exciting programming coming up. And Cartoon Network, of course, premiered Young Justice, which is a new DC Universe animated show, which is very exciting, as well as they've got Star Wars The Clone Wars and a new Thundercats series coming out. So this is really exciting exactly. for the nostalgia factor here. Yeah, our third story tonight, it goes in a little bit of a different direction. The latest issue of Doctor Who magazine has announced the likely air date for Series 6 of Doctor Who. As expected, the show is set to return on Easter weekend, with Episode 1 airing on Saturday, the 23rd of April, and Episode 2 could be as soon as the next day, Sunday, the 24th of April, although that second part is nothing more than a rumor at this moment in time. I am very excited about this. I am a huge Doctor Who fan, and I know there are tons of us out there, including, as I recommended last week, or two weeks ago, the Nerdist podcast, all the guys on that 
all three of those guys are huge Doctor Who fans, especially Chris Hardwick, and they always bring up something, whether it's a TARDIS reference or a Matt Smith name drop or something of that sense in each episode. So for them and myself, we are very excited that the start date has been announced. Now our fourth story, our captain is in the Sunday Magazine in the March 13th episode of Parade Magazine. Now, for those of you who don't know what a newspaper is, on Sundays they would add extra sections included in the newspaper, which sometimes included advertisements for the week and a thing called Parade Magazine. Well, anyway, the March 13th episode of it included an article with Nathan Fillon. It's a great get-to-know-you type of article with easy questions and information that's fun for the actor to talk about. It's worth a read. The other thing about Nathan Fellon is that he made the cover of the newest issue of Entertainment Weekly. He's on the cover and he gets the feature article of the magazine, which talks all about his acting career, including the lessons he's learned from working with some big names in Hollywood, such as Joss Whedon, who of course we know directed Firefly, Road Firefly was the brains behind that, which was the vehicle that really sparked Nathan Fellon's career. And so he talks about his relationship with him and how much he's learned from the man, as well as what he's learned from Steven Spielberg by working on Saving Private Ryan and the director of his upcoming movie, Super. And he just has great things to say about all these actors that he's worked with as well as directors that he's worked with. Yeah, we also get some insight from him from the people behind Castle, uh, the series showrunner and executive producer, Andrew W. Marlowe, talks about the casting process of getting Nathan Fillon to play Castle every week. And we also get some insight from Sonia Kanek about their friendship that they have with each other, as well as working together. And she just has plenty of great things to say about him and tells us just how savvy of an actor he really is. And also we get their opinions on the Castle-Beckett relationship. Sonia Kanek thinks that Castle and Beckett get together and still keep an interesting show. But Nathan Fillon, based on his friendship with Joss Whedon and his experience working on his shows, feels that they can't get together till the end of the series because the tension and us freaking out every time they get close to having a relationship and then having the rug pulled out from underneath us at the last minute is what keeps us watching the show. So again, they have conflicting views on that, but I think that's a great thing because it's going to get great programming from both of them with Castle. So read this article. If you love Nathan Fillon, check out this article. And if you're not the biggest fan of him yet, I think this article will make you love him a bit more. So check that out. He's just a really humble guy about his career. And it was just very, very interesting to see an actor who's a little more down to earth give his perspective on things in an excellent article. So check that out. And with that, we're going to talk about an excellent television show featuring another great down-to-earth actor, Zachary Levi, with our discussion on Chuck, with the episode Chuck versus the A-Team. On this week's episode, Chuck and Sarah begin to investigate when they suspect that Casey is carrying out private missions. Meanwhile, Chuck fears that the CIA's seemingly perfect new operatives will render him obsolete. Elsewhere, Morgan settles in with a new roommate and awesome panics when Ellie embarks on a potentially dangerous line of research. This week's episode of Chuck was really well laid out through it taking the simple plot line of Chuck and Sarah 
being bored over the fact that they have not been receiving missions and blowing it up into a story arc that seems to be all about taking the show in a brand new direction. However, before we get to that situation, I have to mention the hilarious scene that opened up this episode, where it appeared that Morgan was being interrogated by a bad guy about his friendship with Casey. But as it turns out, Casey was actually the one questioning Morgan to see if he was capable of being his roommate and keeping Zone 6 secret from Chuck. You didn't wet yourself this time. That's an improvement. From here, we cut to Castle, where Chuck and Sarah are talking like they are defusing a bomb. But in reality, they are playing Operation as a way to pass the time until they receive a mission from General Beckman, which, judging by the number of board games on the table behind the happy couple, has not happened in a while. At this point, just as Chuck and Sarah are about to give up on a mission that head back to the normal sea of Burbank, Casey enters Castle with a large machine gun, giving the perception that he's been carrying out private missions. Now, if this was season one or two, Sarah would be convincing Chuck to not be suspicious of Casey because he's just following orders. But now that Sarah has become much more emotional due to her relationship with Chuck, she becomes a little crazy obsessed about what's going on, almost in somewhat of a Morgan capacity. Eventually, Chuck and Sarah's almost jealousy over this whole issues of private missions brings them to a warehouse where Casey is making some sort of deal with what I think was an arms dealer, and he's identified as a CIA agent. In response to this, Chuck and Sarah, thinking that they're part of a team, swoop in to save their comrade, only to discover that Casey has formed his own team, made up of Grenas. Going back to Castle, Chuck and Sarah try to make friends with the Grenas, played by the Old Spice guy, Isaiah Mustafa, and the blonde girl, the actress's name is Stacy Keebler, that Nico commented on in a previous episode. I'm sorry, but I never got your actual names. And I really don't want to keep calling you Greta. I'm assuming Greta's probably an acronym. Captain Richard Noble. Captain Victoria Dunwoody. Captain. 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 Rick and Mickey. <laughs> Try me. It's cute. And as the conversation starts off, they are interrupted by director Jane Bentley, the real leader of Casey's new team, who just simply infuriated me in this episode due to her complete disrespect of Chuck and Sarah, as well as her treating Casey like her lapdog. Also, that comes without even mentioning the fact that Bentley views Team Bartowski as the second string when it comes to completing missions, a point that she makes very clear by being asked to take care of the arms dealer that they captured's dog in return for him providing the CIA with evidence. Meanwhile, if Chuck being demoted wasn't bad enough, Awesome gives our hero a call, telling him that Ellie being at home with the baby has made her stir crazy, that she wants her dad's computer back to feel like she's making some sort of difference in the world. Naturally, since Chuck has an answer to everything, he quickly diffuses the situation by telling Awesome to say that he took the computer to the Bymore for repairs, so it will appear that Jeff and Lester lost it. Good fortunately, because Ellie is a Bartowski, this plan ends up backfiring, as she goes to the Bymore to seduce Jeff and Lester into finding the computer, a feat that they believe is going to be accomplished by pulling one out of Sean Spencer's playbook, with Jeff using his psychic ability to track down the computer. Going back to the show's soon-to-be-married couple, 
being demoted causes Sarah to have something in common with Ellie, and she becomes stir-crazy, to the point that she has truck distract Morgan while she breaks into Casey's apartment to appear behind Morgan and shoot him with a tranquilizer dart. How about over your tranked body? You were distracting me so she could break in. Yeah. Clever girl. Are you using the five milligram darts? Ten. Please tell Casey I put up a good fight. Which in turn gives Sarah the opportunity to acquire Casey's handprints from his famous picture of Ronald Reagan. With this handprint, Chuck and Sarah manage to break into Zone 6, which Chuck fans on the internet are now calling Castle 2.0. And there they discover that the CIA is using Chuck's dad's computer. However, as Chuck tries to retake possessions of his computer, he and Sarah are attacked by the Gretos, where it is revealed that they both have intersex downloaded into their brains, which has made them cold and calculating, to the point that the female Greta, named Victoria, was willing to shoot Chuck to keep him from taking the computer. Thankfully, before shots are fired, Casey and Jane Bentley enter the room, telling both of the Gretas to stand down. On that note, you know how there are those characters on television that really tick you off to the point that you want them to get what's coming to them? Like that evil Nazi lady General Trotter on this season of Smallville? Or the Gravedigger on Bones? Well, with this scene, Jane Bentley fell right into that category by her telling Chuck that the very things we love about him, such as his emotions and his inability to kill people, made him obsolete, giving us a nice growl out of Casey. Again, despite getting a growl, Sarah, as well as some of you Chuck fans listening to this podcast, probably felt Casey should have done more to stand up to Bentley after she attacked everything which makes Chuck the hero that we love. But as it was established in the episode where Bentley was first introduced, I think Casey is in a position where he can't really stand up to Bentley because this new intersect project is allowing him to stay in Burbank near Alex, as well as the surrogate family that he has created with Chuck, Sarah, Morgan, and the Bymore crew. Speaking of the Bymore crew, Jeff and Lester seem to be hot on the trail of Stephen J. Bartowski's computer. As Lester has Jeff use his psychic ability to write down a letter that will give a clue to the computer's location. And shockingly, Jeff writes down the letter CIA, which Lester ends up reading as Sia, causing him to throw the paper away. Sia? The hell kind of name is Sia? Totally worthless, Jeffrey. Moving forward, Sarah and Chuck go to General Beckman to voice their frustration at being put on the B-team, which they have been on all along since their team is named Team Bartowski. But regardless of that, Chuck and Sarah get an opportunity to prove their worth by helping Casey's new team take down an arms dealer in possession of a suitcase nuke, putting Chuck in a position that is ripe for spoofing the movie The Hurt Locker. I saw The Hurt Locker, Casey. Okay? I know what happened to Guy Pierce. His suit didn't really do him a lot of good. And amongst the humors surrounding Chuck wearing a bomb protection suit, it is quickly discovered on this mission that the Grenners have some bugs they need to work out. By Victoria shooting and killing the arms dealer, despite the fact that his heartbeat was connected to the timer on the Greta bomb. As a result of this, 
Chuck and Sarah, like Castle and Beckett two weeks ago, end up having to stare down a nuclear bomb, counting down to destruction. But unlike Castle, who just pulled all the wires in a last-ditch effort to stop the bomb, the procedure Chuck uses is a bit more thought out, as he, believe it or not, uses fruit juice to stop the detonation of the bomb. Chuck, are you about to disarm a nuclear bomb using fruit juice? Okay, do it. By the way, this scene was great because it functioned as a full-circle reminder to Chuck, Sarah, and Casey on why they make such a great team. Because the first mission they had together as Team Bartowski required them to defuse a nuclear bomb using porno. In wrapping things up, Chuck's success at stopping the nuclear bomb has earned him a place as the head of all intersect projects. Because Victoria shooting the arms dealer, despite it arming the nuclear bomb, makes General Beckman realize it might be dangerous to have the intersect downloaded into a soldier's brain. that has it removed from both credits. Then, just as I got the opportunity to develop some excitement over Chuck getting to train a group of new intersects, leading to plot lines that will, that will take us on a trip down memory lane, such as Buffy Season 7 and the Smallville episode two weeks ago where they introduced Superboy, it was revealed that we have not seen the last of that annoying Jane Bentley, as her obsession with being in charge of the Intersect Project inspires her disguised as a Bymore employee to give Ellie her dad's computer. And the fact that she is messing with the mother of a new baby means she's going down in my book. And I'm not going to stop referencing that desire on this podcast until it happens. So now that we've established, you won't like me when I'm mad at Jane Bentley. What were your thoughts on this week's Chuck, Nico? I like this episode because it felt like a season one or two episode where Chuck was feeling left out again like he would feel sometimes back then. I liked it uh, also because in this episode, the Gretas were supposed to be an upgrade on the intersect to eliminate the perceived weakness of Chuck, but it was those exact qualities that saved the day in the end. Also, it proved that Chuck is not merely the intersect, but he is also brilliant on his own. With the same intersecting skills that Chuck has, neither of the Gretas was able to defuse the bomb because the programming did not explicitly state what to do. Rather, Chuck used all the knowledge he had in his own brain and that he could glean from the intersect to put it all together and save the day. That was exceptionally well done by the writers this week, and that's why I really liked this episode. The woman that you don't like, this Agent Bentley, I agree, we are meant not to like her. And yeah. at the end of the episode, when they gave it to Ellie and we saw Awesome come in and she had lost track of time, I almost felt like she had had a, a flash. But then I realized, no, she just got so absorbed into the work that she lost all track of time, which I think could, the caregiver in me started thinking, wait a second, you have a baby in the house and you're spending so much right. time focused on one thing. Well, who's taking care of the the baby but she's kind of explained it away with a power nap or something like that but anyway i think this is going to cause some tension in the bartowski team when they find out that she's working on it because devin's obviously going to tell chuck what's going on yeah, especially if it starts interfering yeah interfering with what's going on at home so i think it's going to make some good tension for the future and now chuck doesn't have the intersect to as you said be in charge of the program so unless he steals it back from Ellie, what is he going to do, you know? So um, I think it's going to cause some tension. 
it's going to be interesting to see how they resolve it. Well, and also it's going to cause some problems with Chuck get his relationship with Ellie because he didn't tell her everything that he's been doing either. Right, and I think that that's going to have to come out. I think that he's going to have to come clean with her, and that's ultimately why she's going to stop messing with the computer when he tells her exactly what it did to him and what it could do to anyone in the house that accidentally flashed on it and put that it could harm the baby. If you are working on it and it goes off and flashes and the baby's in the room or anywhere near it, it could adversely affect the baby and her mother instinct should take over and Ellie will give it up. Yeah. The other thing is I think this is a plot device to bring back Chuck and Ellie's mom. They have plans to do that with the rest of the season. Because obviously if she finds out that they have the computer that she seemed to have some connection to it she might freak out as well and show up and say we've got to get this thing out of here because it may hurt the baby because obviously that's definitely a possibility yeah i just think that connection is going to be brought out too but what i like about it I, this episode is i thought it really gave things a kick in the pants because we have a whole new story arc created with chuck trading other intersects yeah definitely i was expecting a vivian reappearance just randomly totally off topic but i was expecting that this week i was thinking we'd get at least a scene or some reminder that she's out there but maybe it was intentional that they're going a complete different direction so that when it comes back it's more impactful i don't know they normally do a nice job of tying it all together and even though we don't see it yet i think they will okay you know the other possibility is could they do this could they make her one of the candidates because they don't think he, that she's bad? I think that might get a little confusing or maybe okay. um, not really work the way they want or the way I see the rest of the season working out. So, no, I don't think that she'll come in as a candidate, but I do think maybe they will find out about it and that'll be one of the first... Maybe that's how they reveal. Yeah. They send people to steal it or something of that nature since it seems to be brought back into the forefront of the storyline is the intersect because we had kind of lost that early in the season and and we had commented on this podcast that we really hadn't seen much flashing or much use of the intersect other than the occasional kung fu move or flashing right before a gunshot or right before a physical move but really wasn't seeing much intel until tonight or this episode this week so bringing the intersect back to the forefront maybe Volkoff Industries coming after the Intersect or trying to build their own could be the way that Vivian reveals herself as the uh, new Volkoff. Because I could see it as Chuck going or somebody telling Chuck you doing this is going to give people a purpose. And he knows that she's trying to find one. So I could see him going to her and being like I want you to do this because I want you to have a purpose. And that just gets him even deeper in the hole with everything that's going on with her. That's a good thought. My only thing is that when the two Gretas had the intersect removed, they both expressed relief not to have that in their brain. So I don't think Chuck would do that to an... Definitely not to an unwilling candidate, but to someone that he has an emotional attachment to. 
okay. uh, like he does to Vivian. So I don't think he would suggest it to her because it is a burden. It is an immense burden, and it's bringing her into a life that is maybe not for her being a spy. Now, do you think he's going to have that issue with Ellie if we get to a point where Ellie realizes what the computer is? And she says she wants to be, I don't know, a spy or have it in her head to help? I just don't see that as happening because Ellie was so against Chuck being okay. a spy that I don't think she would want to. She could be inadvertently flashed or have it downloaded into her. We don't actually know if she's susceptible even. We imagine that she is because Chuck was, but Chuck was also dosed when he was a child, remember? So that could have rearranged his brain chemistry so that he would be susceptible to it. Maybe Ellie doesn't have that same characteristic. That's all speculation at this point, but I don't see her seeking that. Same with Vivian. I don't see them seeking it and Chuck seeking it for Vivian or Ellie seeking it for herself because Ellie is so opposed to Chuck being a spy, she would never be a spy herself. Right, okay, I see what you're saying. Again, it'll probably be a scare that Ellie will become an intersect and that it's two steps back. Right. Uh, Because they attempted that on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The seventh season was her training a whole bunch of potential slayers. And they hinted at the fact that Dawn was one of the potential slayers, and then they pulled back on that at the last minute. Mm -hmm. So I think they may be doing that type of thing. And I think that's the story we're going to get. I think we're going to get, you know, for season five, I think that's your plot line is him training a whole bunch of new intersects and almost handing down the torch so that he goes off to be a father with him and Sarah. And then that's your series finale because i think we're there okay just based on what we saw i think we're down to one more season and then we're done okay if we get there yeah <laughs> if we get that yeah. opportunity so was there anything else with your notes no that we covered everything i had prepared for chuck i think we covered some good thoughts for the future and definitely this episode well and what did you think of the the sia joke <laughs> yeah that i mean it not much, Jeffster. A little bit, but just enough to keep us coming back for more. I thought that was great. I just, I thought the whole, they couldn't give us a whole lot of Jeffster because they had so much going on, but it was nicely done. Exactly. But I'll say right now, Chuck is the show to watch right now. They've got a lot of new stuff going on, a lot of new directions and great plot lines for everybody. I thought Casey really stood out in this episode as well with the dilemma that he's put in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to see him put in a couple more situations as this season goes on. Now, were you with me on the fact that he is doing this and kind of going along with director Bentley and this second team so he can stay in Burbank to essentially be near his family? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because we had so much of that, I don't want to leave this whole season. I figured that that's what came from that is this story arc now that he's going in. Yeah, and I like the idea that you said that he doesn't have any standing with her because she can always hold that over his head now that he's under her command. He, well, first he's a military man, so the chain of command is very important to him. So when she gives an order, he has to follow. He might give 
a moment's thought or he might give uh, a little bit of concern with a, with an order if he th- feels it's unjust or unlawful. But at the same time, he is trained to follow orders and to do so. And so she's his superior officer. He has to follow her orders. And so there's going to be that. And she's holding his assignment where he is over his head. So she has all the power in the relationship. So he does have to follow what she says. He can't really stand up even for Chuck to this woman because if he does, he could lose everything. But I will say this. John Casey will get the last laugh on her. Absolutely. Because that's just how it goes. So with that, we're going to move on to another show that really set up a lot for the future. Bones. With the episode entitled, The Blackout in the Blizzard. When a blizzard causes a power outage during a critical murder investigation... The team finds they must adapt to their low-tech environment in order to prevent a possible biological catastrophe. Elsewhere, Sweets gets a little too interpersonal with Brennan and Booth when Brennan and Booth find themselves trapped in an elevator, while Angela and Hodgins worry over some test results. Even though the time of year for this episode was a bit off, it was a strong reminder of why we love this show, because of its characters. As they were put in a position... We're solving this week's mystery during a blizzard went from bad to worse. Basically, what I mean by this is while Bones gets a call from Cam, Booth through the diner window spots a set of seats from Veterans Stadium being left on the curb. So, of course, since he grew up in Philadelphia, Booth claims the seats as his own. Stadium seats. But they're not just stadium seats, all right? They're from the vet. They're from the vet, you know, veteran stadium, fly, eagles, fly, on the road to victory. Ha, 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 come on, Bones, please, they're from the vet. Prompting him to ask Bones and Sweets for help by getting them to his apartment. But after Sweets takes several nasty falls, Bones and Booth manage to get the seats inside the elevator at Booth's building, only to end up trapped inside. As a result of this, Bones calls Cam to let her know about the situation where she discovers that this week's killer is infected with Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, a deadly virus that could be exposed to the entire city. And we're trapped in here? Sweets! Sweets! Plus, if that wasn't bad enough, all of the power at the Jeffersonian goes out, putting Cam, Angela, Hodgins, and everyone's favorite intern with the heart of gold, Wendell in a position where they have to solve this week's murder without any technology. However, even though no power was bad for everyone at the lab, it was a lot of fun for us as the audience, as we got to watch Hodges and Wendell come up with all sorts of good ideas and bad ideas to solve this week's mystery. For example, a good idea was Wendell creating a vacuum inside of a glove box and using scotch tape to take a Polaroid X-ray of one of this week's victims' boats. Oh, wow, that's kind of awesome. But a bad idea was Hodgins trying to tap into one of the emergency lights for electricity. Uh, are you sure that's safe? Yes, dude. I made my own safety harness. Oh, man, he's lost his mind. Because he gets shocked by a jolt of power, which knocks him backwards, hitting Wendell in the face with the blue dye that he needed to signify the murder victim's 
injuries. Oh, 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 oh my bad. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Going back to Booth, he has his own bad idea as he decides to have Bones stand on his shoulders to reach the emergency hatch that will get them out of the elevator. But after they discover the veteran stadium's chairs are holding the hatch shut, Brennan drops her phone, and as Booth reaches for it, the two partners end up collapsing in a heap, with Booth injuring his back yet again. Don't touch me. It's my back. My back. Don't touch me. As for Hodgins, we got some explanation for his insane idea, which almost resulted in him getting electrocuted, by it being revealed that he and Angela are both carriers of the disease known as LCA, meaning that there's a chance their baby could be born blind. And with this whole scenario, I absolutely loved, and I mean loved, the part that Wendell played in it, by him just being this really great friend to Hodgins, through his explanation that Angela will love him regardless of the fact that he's a carrier of LCA. On that note, as someone who emotionally wants the best, for Hodges and Angela, I don't want their baby to be blind. But from a writer's standpoint, it would be a very interesting challenge for the couple. Because seeing these two incredibly brilliant people putting everything into helping their disabled child fully experience the world would be kind of inspiring. Although this may kind of require a time jump. So we're just going to have to wait and see what is going to happen with this one. Getting back to Bones and Booth, the beauty part on any television show when two characters are trapped together is that it creates some really impressive character development. This is something that we got plenty of in the elevator, as Booth feeling guilty about snapping at Sweets earlier in the episode for bringing up Hannah prompted him to explain to Bones that he needed the veteran stadium seats because it reminded him of the two weeks where his father had stopped drinking and remembered that he had a son again. In response to Booth opening up to her with something incredibly personal to him, it causes Bones to develop into a position where she, along with Booth, become comfortable about discussing sleeping together and potentially having a relationship. By the way, with the whole Bones and Booth trapped in the elevator scenario, they got a kick out of Sweet's awkward relationship with the old lady who lived across the hall from Booth, especially when she had him wearing her dead husband's cheesy Christmas sweater, because it was just plain funny. World's greatest grandpa? Yeah, uh, Mrs. Ross gave it to me. It's a lot comfier than my jacket. You do realize that Mr. Ross is dead, right? I mean, don't you find it odd that Mrs. Ross is dressing you up in her dead husband's clothes? Jumping back to the lab, Wendell manages to boost Hodgin and Angela's spirit by coming up with one of the most ambitious experiments yet using potatoes to power the murder victim's cell phone. And he doesn't just use a few potatoes to power the cell phone. He uses thousands. Spotsational. Totally spectacular. Can I help? If you stop making spud jokes. Sorry. My sincerest potatoologies. Making me question where the behind-the-scenes people on Bones got them all from. But hey, it was totally worth it. Because we got a really fun and fast-paced scene that once again made me wish that everyone could have a friend like Wendell. Moving on, Cam calls Bones and Booth to let them know that this week's killer is a human trafficker. 
that is located just a few blocks away from Booth's apartment. Realizing that this week's killer is putting the entire city at risk due to the virus he's contracted, Booth has to painfully break the veteran's stadium seats in half to access the elevator's emergency escape hatch. Finally, after Bones takes this week's killer down, causing him to fall on Booth, which is kind of gross. Don't, don't touch him, Booth! Don't touch him! We cut to Booth's apartment, where we get a key scene that put Bones and Booth's relationship back on the road towards a romance. Again, that doesn't mean that they hooked up, based on Bones acknowledging the fact that she has become more personable over the past six seasons, but still feels that she has a ways to go. And Booth feeling like breaking up with Hannah left him with some anger issues that he needs to work out. Although, for all of you that are scared the writers are holding off on the romance to throw a giant monkey wrench in Bones and Booth be together, I think that's highly unlikely, because they have both characters write down the date where they will be ready to have a romance, which essentially will probably be the series finale. So be forewarned that I think the end of this show is near, but there will probably be enough bumps in the road for Bones and Booth to take the story, I think, at least two more seasons. So with that sad thought that Bones that Booth's journey may come to an end, what were your thoughts on Bones, Nico? This was back to being a classic Bones episode with some wacky weather and unforeseen circumstances to make it a little more interesting. The scene with Booth and Bones in the elevator, all the scenes, were excellent, and Sweet's running around helping Booth's neighbor talk with her daughter and wear her dead husband's clothes was a classic Sweet's moment. I think we got some very important character development in both the elevator scenes and that final scene at Booth's apartment. I think Bones proved to Booth that she has progressed a long way since even a year ago when she rejected him. And the way she was able to talk about her feelings and that she realized that she is changing and she recognized it as a good change. These are all things that show Booth that she was serious about what she said in the mid-season finale where she professed her feelings for him. I think you're correct, Dan, that this signals that the writers have an exit plan in mind. And I would suggest that it also means that they have set a finale date for the series, be it at the end of this season, next season, or one more after that. But they have it set in their minds and how they are going to get there. Now, I really enjoyed all the old science fair references in this episode, like making a battery and resistors out of potatoes, the makeshift x-ray machine out of scotch tape, and all the others that really made this episode a fun time in the lab. With that being said, I think the Lieber's congenital amaurosis, or the LCA, that Angela and Hodgins are having, uh, the scare they're having is only going to be that, a scare. I think the most important part of the whole reason they brought this into the forefront for this episode was the final scene when Hodgins makes Angela realize that there's nothing that they cannot overcome together, be it having a child with a rare genetic disorder, I think it's 1 in 80,000 in the normal population, or anything else that comes their way. They'll be able to overcome if they stick together. Now, I don't foresee the writers giving the baby a genetic disease unless we're going to do what you said, see a time jump. And that just doesn't seem... Feasible. 
yeah, the way the rest of the storylines are going, it would be unusual for us to just jump five years or three years. And this disease presents itself somewhere between six and 18 months in the baby and sometimes later into childhood. But that's the classic presentation. So it would take quite a substantial time jump this summer or something like that. Maybe in the summer break, we could get that six month jump instead but that's even pushing it. Besides, as with any autosomal recessive disorder in which both parents are carriers, they talked about this in the show, there's only a one in four chance the child will have the disease and a one in two chance that the child will be an asymptomatic character just like both the parents, Angela and Hodgins, are asymptomatic carriers. And for those doing the math, that leaves a one in four chance the child will be completely without the recessive allele or 100% unaffected. After all that genetics jibbo-jabble, let's go on with the rest of the episode. I really enjoyed this episode, <laughs> you know. I really did. Um, it was great. It's probably it one was, of the best of the season. Yeah, you know, it was basic. It was yeah. nothing flashy, nothing fancy. It wasn't last week where we had Booth shooting one of his sniper mentors. It wasn't a huge suspense or the mystery didn't totally flabbergast us or just completely floor us with how complex it was. It was a basic story, but the character development between Booth and Brennan was so great that it made the episode. And like you oh, said, yeah. it was one of the best episodes this season. Definitely better than anything we saw in the first half. And right up there with the Gravedigger episode where we were introduced to Brodsky, I thought that was a very good episode. And this one's right up there because of that character relationship. And I think this episode in its intention was to push the Booth and Brennan relationship back to the forefront, yeah. and that made this very enjoyable. Well, the thing of it, it did two really big things. First of all, it assured everybody that was panicking about Hannah that we have all intention of putting Bones and Booth together. Yes. I really think they made that statement with this episode. It's just going to take some time to get there. But I'm very glad that they solidified in their audience's head that this is the way it's going to be. The other big part of this episode was it reminded the audience that they could do a good episode without having to do something big like blowing the gravedigger's head off. Mm -hmm. So that was huge for both of those aspects with this episode. And again, they used all the things that made this show good from the beginning to make this a good episode. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. And even your guest star intern was fantastic. Wendell was excellent in that scene with Hodgins when he found out he was a carrier. Yeah, I think if they're going to pick one intern to stick with, Wendell would be the best choice in my mind. Yes. Just because the range of acting that the actor brings to the table, he's great in a lot of different roles or a lot of different they've done a lot of different things with his character so i i would see him as being the best yeah it's great when they bring in fisher or nigel murray or daisy or even clark but i think wendell might steal the show as the best intern and we haven't seen daisy in a while so i'm wondering if we're going to see her coming up soon i would assume Uh, that's coming yeah i'm wondering if it's going to be a sweet proposal sort of episode because but I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to be a nervous wreck because of what happened with booth and hannah 
So it, it would be interesting. It's got to be coming soon because we haven't seen her in a while, and if they're just going to continue to reference her in like we wanted them to do with Hannah, but not so much with Daisy. That's unfortunate because it was she was annoying, but in a good way. Yeah. Well, so. with Wendell, I mean, thinking about that whole scene, Zach couldn't have done that scene. As much as I love that character, there's no way that would have worked with him in that scene. Like, it almost solidified Wendell's purpose on the show. Because he is, I yes. think that's why we attach to him so much, because he is Hodgins' friend. The other ones don't really seem like pals with Hodgins. And that's why I think Wendell is the Zack substitute. He's yeah. different, so he's not just a new Zack. He's the substitute or the shoe filler. And that's why I think he could be the permanent intern. And I wouldn't be surprised down the road that they go that route or switch back and forth between him and Daisy. Okay. Because I feel like you need Daisy for storylines with sweets. Right. But I think Wendell is the best, both from a character development and an actor standpoint. Also, I think this was a great episode to move him past the awkwardness of having a relationship with Angela. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought that was a nice touch to it, too. I just can't say enough about this episode. I really can't. It was a big surprise to me this week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But ideally, are you saying we probably will get two more seasons out of this? I think that that's hopeful. Okay. I think this season for sure, and I think next season is a good bet. I don't see it being a two-season renewal. I think both the numbers have dropped off from a rating standpoint to make that happen. But I also think the story, there's a bone spinoff in the works. And yeah. so they probably are going to wrap this one up in the final season and have spinoff in, I think, the 18th or 19th episode of this season yeah. would introduce the characters and then next season we would see the continuation of that story i don't know if there's any plans for this spring having a partial season i think it's just in that 18th episode 18th 19th whatever it is and then in the fall we'll see the start of that series and that is a direct correlation with the additional novel lines in the temperance brennan okay so they're they're basing it off the novels they're going off of another series of novels that are in the same world, in the same okay. uh, overall sphere, yeah, universe. So it is not a Temperance Brennan series. It is another character that she worked with in a couple of her books, and then that they broke that off and made it into its own series. Series. It's, it's going to be interesting. There is some news about it out there if you're interested in it. I don't want to give any information away because it could be considered spoilerish. They will be introducing them later in the season and we don't want to give anything away in that sense here. So if you're interested in that spinoff, just type in Bones spinoff into Google and you'll get about 10,000 hits and you'll, I'm sure you'll find a great article in there. I can even put one up on Facebook later on when we get closer for sure. But I think one more season is all we're going to see in the initial Bones okay. universe, or in the initial Bones series, and then I think the spinoff will take a life of its own. 
I could be mistaken, but that's how I foresee it going. Well, and the possibility is we could see some of these characters on this spinoff come down the line. Would you assume so? There's definitely guest appearance capability, but there would not be permanent position availability. Maybe for one of the interns. That would be actually a great thing. One of the interns could graduate, finish their thesis, and move on because there wasn't a permanent position available for them at the Jeffersonian. And so they would move on and join the FBI with the other individual that uh, Temperance Brennan has worked with. So that is definitely a possibility, but I don't foresee Angela or Hodgins or any of the major characters, Cam, Booth, or even... Well, we might see... It would be great if we could get some more sweets, but I just don't foresee that being a possibility. Well, also, I think some of these actors may move on and get their own shows. I think John Francis Daly is capable of getting his own show by the time Bones ends, hypothetically, I would think. Because he's got the fan base, I think. Yes, I, I don't know if he'll be the only leading man. I think he would be a great, like, castle setup where it's a buddy okay. thing. Because Freaks and Geeks was very much, he was the star of the younger crowd of kids. And then there were some people that you see in all kinds of movies like Franco and uh, I'm totally blanking on her name, but recognizable faces. Linda uh, Cardellini you're probably thinking of. Yeah, they were yeah. all the stars of the older crowd. So he's already shown that he can he can be the leading man in that sense. That was an ensemble cast. But I think he, he would be very much in a, a buddy role, be okay. excellent. Very much like Bones and Booth are. They're the leads of the show, but it's two. I say that only because that's the way I see television going these days. Yeah. Most shows are not a single... You know, you have House where it's a single guy. But then you have How I Met Your Mother, where it's five people. You have Psych, where it's two guys. Most shows these days seem to have an ensemble. Yeah, Yeah, so. I agree with you on that. Well, with that, we're going to move on to a show that I hope to God is not replaced by this boat spinoff that's coming up. Fridge, with the episode entitled Stowaway. Fingerprints at the scene of an apparent suicide lead the Fringe team to a seemingly immortal woman. This week's episode of Fringe did an excellent job of taking two plot lines that were completely separate from each other and tied them together in a nice bow with plenty of goodies in between. One of these goodies was Anna Torv functioning as a character actor by channeling the sci-fi legend Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? Well, regardless of the sound designers on this show, matching up Leonard Nimoy and Anna Torv's voices or not, she portrayed a Dr. Bell-possessed Olivia perfectly through developing this chemistry with Dr. Bishop that made them come across as two giggling schoolgirls who always seemed to have an inside joke about what was going on around them. Now, I understand that this could take some time for you to get used to. Imagine how I feel. I never realized that a bra was so binding. <laughs> However, that's not all that happened with Dr. Bell's presence in this episode, as we got this kind of gross yet funny notion 
that Dr. Bell has somewhat of an attraction to Astrid. Has anyone ever told you, dear, that you have lovely hands? Thank you. As well as Dr. Bishop coming up with the crazy idea to transfer Dr. Bell's soul into his pet cow in order to restore Olivia's consciousness and keep Dr. Bell alive. It may work, but still, I'd have to milk you. We could assign Astrid. (laughs) Another great aspect of this episode was the addition of the Lincoln Lee from our side. This is Special Agent Lincoln Lee from Hartford. He has some information regarding this case. Who is much nerdier than his counterpart on the other side, but made a great ally to Peter in resolving this week's threat. On that note, I think it was pretty much established, but I hope that we get to see the Lincoln from our side again, because I think he could develop into a much-needed friend for Peter that he could talk to about his love life and the secret project he's working on while still remaining objective. Plus, as a benefit of bringing in this side's version of Lincoln, he hopefully will be a way for the new viewers that Ken Tucker called for in his Entertainment Weekly article to connect with this show. Because the fact that he's the new man on the team means he has to stop and ask questions, which hopefully will catch these people who desperately need to watch this show to catch up to speed with things at a very rapid pace. As for the plot line that connected to the title of this episode, we were introduced to yet another well-developed one-off character, a woman named Dana, who takes advantage of her position as a suicide counselor to function as what Lincoln calls the energy-sucking vampire that uses her victim's death to prolong her own life, thus making her immortal in the same fashion as Bruce Willis's character in the movie Unbreakable. Although, as Lincoln and Peter dig deeper into Dana's personal life, they discover that Dana and her family were killed in a robbery. But due to the degradation between universes, she survived, putting her in a position where she's trying to use being with suicide victims at the time of their death to hitch a ride up to heaven in order to be with her family. In other words, this makes Dana's story similar to the biblical story of Azrael, a point that is made clear by her going to a church and a nun telling her about the angels lifting Azrael out of purgatory into heaven because the combined innocence of their souls outweighs Azrael. As a result of this, and to just simply raise the intensity of the story, Dana gets the opportunity to follow in Azrael's footsteps. That is going to help a suicidal man gives Dana the location of a bomb he planted on a passenger train, just before he kills himself, thinking that she will stop the bomb. Unfortunately for the suicide victim, Dana has other plans, as she believes that dying with hundreds of people on a train will create enough energy to break the magnetic field that is making her immortal. Luckily, just because Dana has the thought of allowing the bomb to kill herself and everyone on the train, doesn't mean she necessarily goes through with it as we get this great performance from Joshua Jackson. In a scene where Peter tries to talk her out of sacrificing innocent people just so she can be with her family. On that note, what was most impressive about this excellent scene were the writers and the performance of the actors keeping this conversation between Dana and Peter emotionally charged, even though it took place over the phone. 
Again, when the fridge team ends up stopping the train to search it for Dana and the Bob, it appears that Peter talking her out of killing all the passengers has failed. But just as it seems all is lost, an explosion occurs on the outside of the train, and Dana is found dead, having sacrificed herself to save everyone on the train from the Bob. Finally, at the end of this episode, Dr. Bell, who is still possessing Olivia, brings the plot lines of the episodes all together. As he goes back to the classic science versus religion debate that I have to commend this show for discussing so freely, without any fear of persecution, by explaining that Dana's death occurred because the explosion of the bomb reset the electromagnetic field that was allowing her to be immortal. However, Dr. Bell goes on to suggest that the theory is wrong. And a better theory is that Dana couldn't die because she needed to be there, due to it being her destiny to save all the people on the train. Just like it is Peter's destiny to be brought to our side to potentially save our reality and the other side from destruction. This revelation is then followed by church bells ringing outside the bishop's house, causing Olivia to revert back to consciousness momentarily. But then Bell takes over when the bells stop ringing, warning Peter that things may be more complicated than he first thought. And with that, in my opinion, I have no idea what that final statement from Dr. Bell means. But even though I thoroughly enjoyed it this week, I hope this whole plot line with Dr. Bell possessing Olivia only lasts for one more episode on our side. Because I think I'm going to find myself really missing the character development that comes out of Peter and Olivia's budding romance. So with that, what were your thoughts on this week's Fridge, Nico? Dan, I couldn't agree with you more about that last statement. While we loved the transformation of Olivia into Dr. Bell last week, any more than another episode, and it will become a little excessive in my book. A year ago, I would never have said this, but I miss Olivia. I agreed that the episode was excellent, especially when Dr. Bell, in Olivia's body, was pervertedly hitting on Astrid and made her so self-conscious that she buttoned up her shirt and stayed clear of Dr. Bell slash Olivia for the rest of the episode. Now, I thought that Doctors Bishop and Bell were going to somehow use the body of the woman who could not die to transfer Bell's consciousness I to the body. Since it seemed to hold on to the energy of that woman so tightly, I figured it would be a great host body for Bell's soul energy. That was my idea throughout the entire episode. But at the very end, when Dr. Bell was telling Peter how he scientifically explained why she was successful this time in taking her own life, it made me realize that they were probably not going to use her body as the new host. Even though it still was intact and the bomb didn't blow it to smithereens, it made it seem like because they had reset the electrical ma- electric magnetic field around her body, probably wouldn't work as the host body anymore. Yeah. It appears that Dr. Bell slash Olivia best stay clear of ringing bells because it appears that the church bells in the background caused a temporary dissociation of his soul from Olivia's host body. I don't know either what he meant by his last statement, but I think the entire next episode might be spent trying to find a suitable host for Dr. Bell and resolving these new unexpected complications that he was referencing when he returned from his little hiccup when the bells chimed. Well, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait another week because they're going to go back to the other side next week. Yeah, as usual with the show, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they're, how they're going to do it. Yeah. Now, finally, I really like the appearance of our side's Lincoln. Yes. I think he will be joining the team in the future because he's, he's such a great character. Mm-hmm. 
on the other side, I think that he's going to be just as great on this side because they're not identical characters. You know, just like Olivia and Bolivia are kind of different and complete opposites in some characteristics, the same is true about Lincoln. My only concern is how Olivia will react when she returns and learns that Lincoln from this side is helping out. And if that will cause any issues with her time on the other side, because Bolivia and Lincoln have a history. I'm not sure what it was, if it could have been a sexual relationship, but they definitely have a special relationship. And since Olivia shares all those memories of her time being Bolivia, his addition to the team may cause some negative side effects that we don't know about. And it's going to be tough on Olivia when she returns from her little uh, sabbatical while Dr. Bell is in her body and finds Lincoln on the team all of a sudden. Well, that would explain um, why they're jumping to the other side next week. That's explain true. Explain that backstory. Yep. I think you hit it right on the head. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that because yeah. we've always been speculating what is it between them? What is going on? And so it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And did you get the vibe that there may be a friendship developed between Peter and Lincoln from our side? You know, I did. They seemed to hit it off and got along fairly well. So I I do see that as a potential. It's going to have to grow, obviously. But definitely, I think it would be a good thing for Peter to have because he doesn't have any guy friends. Yeah, he's kind of going through the Clark Kent on Smallville dilemma where he has no guy friends yeah yeah the prior to post pete and prior to ollie showing up exactly so So. if we could get that going with him and lincoln i think it'd be a really good thing i think it's the one thing that this show hasn't had yet is a buddy dynamic Mm -hmm. so it might be nice to see oh i definitely agree with that again not that this show needs to be made any better in my opinion but obviously the ratings have different opinions on that Yeah, I do think that you are right in the fact that Lincoln is a new character, a new pretty boy to look at that may bring in some new female viewers, and he's a great character, so that's going to bring in some male and female viewers. So definitely, it's not just a ratings ploy. You know, sometimes in the past we've seen TV shows that bring in a character just to boost ratings or just to bring it back on track with the ratings. I don't see that as what they're doing here. I think this is a planned move, but it will have the side effect of helping boost the ratings potentially. Well, and I hated I even had to say that in my description of this episode because I was very pleased. I've been very pleased with this entire season. I don't think Mm -hmm. that they need to bring in another character like that. I I want to bring in Lincoln because I want to meet the Lincoln from our side. That's interesting to me. So that's what I'm all about. And every episode is really thought-provoking. It's not stupid television at all. I mean, there's some shows that you come out and go, okay, they should be canceled because they're just stupid. This is really well thought out. And I, I love that they're not afraid to fully discuss the science versus religion debate on this show. I really liked what Dr. Bell had to say and how it could be science or it could be fate, you know, and then the Bible verse, the biblical stuff, that was great. I mean, it's, what's cool is, I mean, Supernatural, I love that show because of the biblical stuff. And now they're fusing that concept with Supernatural with sci-fi on Fringe, but that makes me excited. That's kind of cool. Just gives a different perspective on things that I would think of as sci-fi by throwing in that angle. It's just really neat. Absolutely. Is not 
the typical way that a show like this would go. And that's what makes it great is that we haven't seen this exact thing before. It's not, you know, rehashing stories we've already seen. No, this is new stuff. This is groundbreaking. And, and that's what makes it even better. And that's why I don't understand why this show is not leading the week in ratings. Why it's on Friday night now. Why I just don't understand. Are other people not seeing what we're seeing? Are we giving this show too much credit? <laughs> What well, What is the deal? I think the critics, I think the sci-fi fans, I think all of us have seen it's something new. But to these people that watch those stupid reality shows, they don't get it. I don't want to call them dumb, but <laughs> I know a lot of very smart people who like reality shows. But yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. There, I, I don't get reality <laughs> television. <laughs> there are plenty of smart people that like reality television, but because of these people that are dumb... Fringe isn't getting the credit it deserves. I just, these writers are working so hard, and it's gotta be so hard for to have your imagination kicking on all cylinders to do what they do every week with this show. Because they're tackling major social issues. This is almost like Star Trek of this century, or this new millennium, if that makes sense. Because what they did with Star Trek was very, very groundbreaking when that show came out on television. And I think Fringe is the next entity of that. Do you agree? I do. I think it's the, like you said, the Star Trek of this century, the lost of this decade, the beginning of lost at the beginning of the 2000 to 2010 era changed television. It changed television, the way stories are told, the consistent use of asynchronous storytelling, nonlinear timelines as being a staple of the genre. Now, Fringe is incorporating a lot of those lessons learned and becoming something entirely different. It is the next evolution that I was talking about, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 episodes ago on this podcast when we were talking about what television was going to be the next generation. And we're seeing it in Fringe. And I don't think people who didn't get hooked in that first season are coming to the show new because maybe they're afraid they're not going to understand what's going on. But that's why God made Netflix, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and go watch the first. <laughs> go watch the first couple seasons, come back, get caught up, and watch. Because if you watch the first two seasons on Netflix, you can watch this current season on Hulu, sign up for a month or two of Hulu Plus so you can get all the back issues, and just watch this show it's so great it is it's like a really good movie or a good book that you can't put down it kind of starts slow i will admit the first season's slow but after you get past that mid-season finale oh man this is great television it is and i would like with that to comment on we got a nice post on the website from a guy his name was uh, jason a who kind of backed us on our thoughts about fringe and stuff and we really appreciate that you backed us on that. And we're glad to hear that we got someone like you interested in the castle as well as Fringe. So that was really cool that our podcast is doing that for you. And we would love for you to have more episodes of Fringe to watch. You know, I keep wanting more Fringe. And the possibility that I can't get any more really bothers me big time. Well, it's not canceled yet. Don't cry yet. Don't cry yet. But It's getting um... scary. It's still got a chance to come back. Fox has not made its decision. 
And they are very conscious of the fact that they have been saying since January that they did not move it to Friday to cancel it. Now, if they do cancel it, who's going to listen to them ever again? Yeah. Because they flat out said, we didn't move it to Friday to cancel it. They move it to Friday and then cancel it. Their word is mud. Well, the other thing is it doesn't help when I opened Entertainment Weekly. And yes, as great as it was that Nathan Feld was on the cover, there's an article in there saying, canceled shows. Are they going to be left with the cliffhanger? Then there's a picture of Olivia Peter right next to the article. Yeah. Like, what is that? Every week we sit here and we say this show's great. We get excited about it. It's one of the things I look forward to discussing with you about. And for them to take it away, it's just... It's bad, and I know you know we keep harping on this every week, but that's how much this show means to me to be able to watch it every week. So and again, and I'm the hardcore comic book superhero Superman fan that watches Smallville every week and everything like that, and I'm accepting that to go. But if I lose Fringe at the same time, that's going to be difficult for me. That's all I have to say. So, is there anything else on your end, Nico? No, I think it's good we end with our rant. <laughs> okay. And again, you listeners, I'm not angry at you. This is a little issue between me and Fox and a show called Firefly. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, we're going to move into the closing. Do you want to take it away with us coming down the pipe with next week's episode, Nico? Sure. On next week's episode, we will only have reviews for Chuck, Castle, and Fringe due to Smallville and Supernatural still being on their enormous hiatus, as well as Bones taking a long hiatus of its own for three weeks until it returns in April with seven consecutive new episodes. Yeah, so we got a lot of bones left, which is a good thing. By yes. the way, don't forget to check out our podcast segments on our Facebook and Twitter, which we'll be picking up, entitled Things Learned from How I Met Your Mother, which is lessons learned from watching that show. And by the way, check it out, I think, on Monday, because they're going to have an episode with Barty's father, so that should be enjoyable for all you hardcore fans of that show. And also we have Psych Thoughts, which is a sentence-by-sentence review of each episode of Psych as I watch it. And with that, you can also, if you want to, you can contact us by visiting our website, www.acrosstheairwaves.com, where you can post on our site in response to the posting of this podcast episode, which our friend Jason A. did. So thank you, Jason A., for commenting. You've commented the past two weeks, so thank you for that. Also, if you want to, if it's easier, you can email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. You can also access our Twitter page, which is Across Airwaves. There's no the, just Across Airwaves. Also on our website, we have a like button, and if you click that, you can be a part of our Facebook page, where Nico posts all sorts of great TV and movie news for the upcoming blockbuster films that are coming out this summer. And also you can access our YouTube channel run by the great Michael J. Petty. And on that site, you can check out all sorts of trailers and previews for movies and upcoming episodes of our favorite shows, as well as promos for Across the Airways that Michael has created. And he's created a bunch of promos for Smallville, with Across the Airways and some other ones. So check that out. They're really enjoyable. And also, if you want to, you can leave us a voicemail talking about your opinions of all of our favorite shows or why Fridge should be saved. And you can do that by calling what number, Nico? 773-809-3363. And also, in case 
you have a difficulty or you don't want to go back through your podcast to hear all that information again, you can get all of these sources to contact us all in one source by downloading our Android app, which is available in the Android Marketplace. So check that out. Also, there's a link on our website that you can access on the right-hand side of our page under the Contact Us section. So you can easily access it from our site or just search across the airways on the Android Marketplace. So with that, once again, for our Brain Trust member and editor, Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reistek. And until next week, we'll catch you on the airways. Have a great week, everybody, and please show your support for Fringe. See ya. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.
See ya.